Hi, my name is Jacob Kirsch. Uh, <laughs> long time no see. Um, so I'm going to be doing the scripture reading for you this morning. Uh, so we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, we are talking about scripture this morning with Brian. So I am going to read uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, but I'm going to read it several different translations. So I invite you to listen to the translations and try to pick out how they're different. The King James Version, everyone's favorite. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Living Bible. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It is God's way of making us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. The Common English Bible. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Worldwide English New Testament. All that is written in the holy writings comes from the Spirit of God. The holy writings are good for these things, to teach people, to show them when they are wrong, to make them see what is right, to teach them to do what is right. In this way, a person who belongs to God has all he needs. He is ready for every kind of good work. The New Life Version. All the holy writings are God-given and are made alive by him. Man is helped when he is taught God's word. It shows us what is wrong. It changes the way of a man's life. It shows him how to be right with God. It gives the man who belongs to God everything he needs to work well for him. The New International Reader's Version. God has breathed life into all scripture. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It is useful for correcting our mistakes. It is useful for making our lives whole again. It is useful for training us to do what is right. By using scripture, the servant of God can be completely prepared to do every good thing. The message. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. And finally, New Revised Standard Version, Updated Edition. Every scripture inspired by God is also useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The word of God for the people of God. All right, good morning, Imago. So we are <clears throat> continuing our spiritual practice series, and so today we're talking about scripture. So if you, hopefully you got all the many papers when you came in today. It's like you came to school and got a big pile of homework. Sorry about that. I'm not sorry about that, but I hope you got all the papers. So you should have gotten three, and if you didn't, we'll fill it in. So there's a white paper that has all the scripture that we just read, and then there's also a yellow and a blue. So if you're missing one of those, we'll get those in your hands. 
So we're doing this on paper for a couple reasons. Um, one, it's good to have the words right in front of your face. And also, I want you to be able to take them with you. Um, we're gonna be doing several practices this week that really require more time, <laughs> that you can sit with things longer, and longer than we can do actually sitting here this morning. So these are all meant to, for you to be able to take them with you and spend some time with them later in the week and see what comes up in you later on. So we're gonna start first with just that scripture reading that Jacob just did for us. That's on the white paper. And again, it just has those two little verses. Um, many of us that grew up in church have heard those lots of times before. For me, it was very interesting to listen to all the different versions from different Bibles on that. I tend to get a little, well, I'm trying to get better. I was very sarcastic about all the many different kinds of Bibles, mostly because we've all seen how publishers would try to make all these different Bibles, so now you need this new one. So make sure you pick up your copy of the Skier's Bible and the Bible for Knitters, and make sure it's the coffee and caramel, not the coffee and chocolate Bible, that's different. So, you know, trying to make, oh, here's a new one that you must get your hands on. But, um, obviously the Bible is something that has been wrestled with and translated so many times throughout history. And each person who comes to that task has a different perspective, a different agenda in their mind of what they're doing. And they're going to the source and they're coming up with this new translation that they want people to hear. They're all are different, right? Some of them are meant to be paraphrases where it's not a word for word. I'm gonna tell you exactly what this Hebrew word is in English. It's more they're trying to look at the ideas. They're trying to help you understand what was this concept? What was this idiom? I think we have some more people maybe over here that need papers still. Okay. So. Okay. so again, they have a different intention. We have to keep that in mind when we're looking at all these different ones. But just to start off, I'm curious from you, hearing all those different versions of that, just those two little verses, um, what did you notice about that? Did anything stand out to you as you heard all those different versions? Okay, so some words showed up very consistently, trained and inspired. Ken said, thank you. Libby? Um, I noticed that some churches don't really like really bring out, you know, um, how do I say this? What is wrong about God? Yeah, so Libby noticed that some of the versions were very heavy on the what's wrong with you part of how scripture helps with that, and other ones were more emphasizing the loving aspect of it. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, Renee? Excellent. So yeah, Renee was noticing in the Living Bible translation, they have um, an emphasis at the end about being equipped to do good to everyone, not just making yourself good enough that God will like you. And that's a very different message. So yeah, hi, mate. Yeah, so the wording was important. How many noticed that gender was different? Some texts used just man, and some were more um, gender for uh, all genders. And also the way they handled sin, that you would choose different language for that, for sure. Yeah, Jason.
I love that difference. So yeah, Jason noticed that some of the versions made the scripture seem like a tool that you use, and other ones it was more emphasized as a living thing that's continuing and growing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, great. Yeah, Julie noticed that the word teach shows up in all these different versions, which kind of emphasizes how we're always learning. We should always be growing. It's not a static thing. Good. Yeah, Jen. That's great. Yeah, Jen noticed that, again, with inspiration and being inspired all the way through, that is connected with the word breath and that idea that life is being breathed into these words. Good. Yeah, Kelly. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, actually, so Kelly just was saying that she really liked seeing them side by side and how it helped her see the richness of the language. So, yeah, I think we're in some ways, like when I was in college, they would have Bibles that had like four different translations side by side in them. So you could do that, which was nice, but also they were gigantic because they had all those words in them. But that was my earliest encounter with things like that. And now what's so nice is like with Bible Gateway, or, you know, there's lots of online websites that have the scripture on there. So honestly, for this one, once I found the one I liked, I clicked on it, and I could see it in, on it, there was probably 35 to 40 different translations, and I could just kind of go through each one and look for what I noticed. It was, um, and it's still, you know, kind of overwhelming to see, but it's, it is nice that we have tools like that now that help us do this in a way that's more accessible instead of having to have a stack of 15 different translations and try to flip through all of them differently. So, yeah, that's good. Thank you for all those things. Anything else that anyone noticed? Yeah, Dan. I guess mine was more meta, but I just noticed how uh, it's like we always talk about the context of the Bible and how that's important to put the Bible mm -hmm. in context. But then, like, I'm thinking we also have to put the context of the translation and what the author of the translation, like, or the translator, envisioned as an author. And it's just like, mm -hmm. so when anybody says the Bible is clear, I can just say, well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dan was pointing out that we talk about the context of the Bible a lot, but also we have to think about the context of the translation that we're holding in our hands and the, per the people that put that together. You know, what was their um, goal? What were they thinking about as they did that too? So yeah, a whole nother level of context for sure. Yeah, good. Well, wrestling with this issue, I was thinking about a lot of different things. One is I love how in our church we say lots of different phrases at the end of scripture. One that we used to do is this is the word of the Lord, and everyone would say thanks be to God back at one makes my Lutheran heart happy you have to me hear that, but and we have these responses to it, right? But it's so interesting, because here at Imago, there are times when we have read a passage that's especially difficult or hard to understand, or sometimes just icky, and the person will say that part, and you can hear, like, the whole church is kind of like, ew, <laughs> like, I don't know that I want to say that back, I don't know, or we'll just, like, all kind of laugh spontaneously together, which is a very different reaction, I think, than a lot of churches have to when the scripture is read. But we do that because sometimes it is difficult to wrestle with the scripture. It just is hard. And what's so funny is, as a church that is so often viewed as like the heretics of Peoria, we are a church that loves scripture. Like we come back to it again and again. And I think people forget that. Um, and so today, as we're looking at it, 
that's one of the reasons why we're doing this, right? Because we do value the scripture. We love it for all the messy, complicated work that it is. We still see beauty and value in it. And that's kind of what our whole theme is about today. So I want to start today with just some disclaimers. Um, I did not go to Bible college, so I'm not coming to you as a Bible scholar. There are people in this room that have studied much more than me that will be much better resources for questions and things like that. Um, I'm coming to you as just a person who wrestles with the Bible like you do. And I've been reading some more about it, and I want to share the things I noticed, but we're kind of all sitting together around this table having a discussion as friends. So I'm not going to tell you all the things that I know about how smart I am about the Bible. There are lots of great people to look to who do that kind of work, and I'm going to tell you about a few of them. Um, so Peter Enns is an author that has been very helpful for me. I'm just helping understand how the Bible is put together. He has books like The Bible Tells Me So, How the Bible Actually Works. He has a podcast called The Bible for Normal People that I love that's really interesting. He's just very good at taking complicated issues and helping me enter into those discussions. Not so much telling me the answers to everything, which is a little annoying, to be honest, but, um, but very good about helping us ask the questions and helping us navigate those hard questions. Um, Dan McClellan is another Bible scholar. I follow him on TikTok, which is a little embarrassing to say. I don't know why that feels less somehow, but he is very smart about the Bible, and he will take passages, and he really digs into the original text and what the original meanings were and how sometimes we get it right in our modern translations and sometimes we don't. And he's very good at helping me to remember that we can easily pick a meaning that we want a verse to have and run with it and sometimes ignore the actual truth of the verse. And so we have to be careful of that and make sure we're always going back to the source and asking questions and not just blindly accepting what people tell us. So he's a really good resource for me. There are so many more. Amy Jolivine is excellent. Marcus Borg and T. Wright. Um, all these, there's many, many people out there. It's great to seek out wisdom of others because most of us, we cannot spend our whole day sitting and learning Hebrew and studying the original text. It'd be great if we could. It would not be great for me. I would not enjoy that. But I'm glad that people can do that. But again, we just have to be thinking about who is this person telling me about the Bible? You know, where, what is their background? What is their perspective? Because it makes a difference. They cannot help but see the Bible through a certain lens of their life, just like we do. So we have to keep that lens in mind, too, as we're learning from biblical scholars and what they're telling us. So that's one disclaimer. I'm not a biblical scholar. Another one is that I do not believe that if something in the Bible doesn't make sense to me, that it must not be true. Um, there's a verse in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are um, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I am all on board with that. I completely understand that my understanding is limited. And just because I don't understand the way a scripture is put together or what it means does not mean that it's not good or valuable or that God didn't have a purpose for that scripture. So I'm just, I'm not coming into it with that idea too. Like, well, that's dumb. I don't get it. I'm also not interested in just picking the interpretations that make me feel good. And that's something that we have to be so careful with. And honestly, in more progressive churches like ours, we get accused of that all the time, right? Oh, you just pick out the parts that you like and you ignore the rest. It's not what we're trying to do. And honestly, the thing that's hard about that is that's what every person does when they pick up the Bible. They can't help it. It's not a bad thing. It's not their fault. But you cannot possibly take the entirety of Scripture and give every verse equal weight, equal value. It's just not possible. There are verses that do honestly contradict each other, sometimes within just a few pages of each other. And so we have a harder job, honestly. It's a more complicated job to weigh through all of that, to wrestle with all those things and sort all of it out. We have to figure that out together. What does this verse mean? We also have to hold that loosely once we come to a conclusion because we have to remember that's what we did. It's to the best of our understanding right now. This is what this seems to say. And there can be a lot of beauty and truth in that. And we could find out next week, next year, that we were way off base on something. 
I think that's okay. That sounds kind of bad. But it's okay to be wrong about something in the Bible, too. As long as you are genuinely studying with your whole heart and you're letting the Spirit work in you and you're trying your best to figure out what this means, and as long as you stay open and curious so that when the next thing that you learn helps you understand it differently, you can also move in that direction. So I'm going to tell you just a little short version of how the Bible was actually put together. And partly I'm doing this because um, when I was getting ready for this message, it was really hard not to get lost in the weeds on this topic because this is a really important issue for a lot of people. How did the Bible get put together? Who um, decided what books were in, what books were out? Because both, well, all the different sides, the people that hold up the Bible as inerrant in the way that they understand it, they have a meaning for every word that's the only one meaning for everything, and people that don't have much respect for the Bible. It was just a bunch of things put together by people who were just making stuff up. Both of them will look at the process and try to use that process to justify their view of the Bible. And I get that. I get that. I also believe that no matter how it was put together, I believe that God could work through that process. As imperfectly and messed up and sometimes very strange as it was, he works through me, and I am super messed up and strange. So, he, you know, he can do through all those things. So when we look at how the books were picked out to be put in the Bible, as you research it, it's really interesting to see how different people explain the process. If you go to a more traditional Christian source, no matter how they word it, they will always come down to the people just knew. They just recognized the authority of God in these works. It's almost like a Hallmark movie trope, like you just saw her and you just knew that was the one for you, right? It's, it's almost like that kind of wording, like they just sensed it. And they would talk about other requirements, but that's what it always boiled down to. And can God work that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when you look at how historians talk about this process, they talk about other things besides just you knew. So when they look at the early church documents, early historical documents about how this process came together, of putting things together, um, they, the historians will say that the debate really lasted from about the first through the fourth century. So over that whole time, they were trying to figure out what was in, what wasn't. Um, around the 300s, they were kind of settling it down. They were pretty settled on what was in there. But even Martin Luther was still arguing about which books should be in the Bible. He hated the book of James and wanted it kicked out. So even when he was alive, they were still going back and forth about this. Now, there were a lot of texts circulating during this early time. There were um, the ones that we recognize in our Bible, but there are lots of other ones being um, carried around by churches. Some treated them as scripture, some didn't. There was a lot of debate about them, but there are things like the Epistle of Barnabas, the Gospel of Thomas, the Apocalypse of Peter, which is honestly like the best garage name for a band ever, right? We should all have a band that got But these, there were times when churches viewed each one of those also as scripture, and then they collectively decided that they were not. Now, there's a lot of people that think the Council of Nicaea was the one who finally came up with canon um, under Emperor Constantine. That's mostly because of the Dan Brown books. So if you, the Da Vinci Code really used that theory a lot. Um, that's not actually what historical evidence points to. There was not really one final church or one final person that made that decision. It was lots of churches happening at the same time that were all kind of coming to this. And when they would look at that, there was three basic criteria that they seemed to have used. They would, wanted books that were written by an apostle or Paul or someone who was very, very close to them. That was very important. If it was an older text, that took priority over a newer text, a more recent text. So um, documents that had been written earlier carried more weight. They also would look to see whether that text conformed with their current Christian theology. Does this fit with all the things that we believe about God, that we understand about God? And so they would pull out together. So they kind of came to a consensus. But even now, not all churches have the same Bible. The Protestant Bibles has 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The Roman Catholic Bible has 73 books, including the Apocrypha in the middle. The, um, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, Church has 81 total books in its Bible. 
and think clues in things like First Enoch in a book called the Jubilees. So even today, there are people that hold different texts up as sacred. But throughout this whole process, again, what is a challenge for us? And I found this more for myself. I grew up believing that the Bible was one univocal text that was somehow magically handed down to people with one voice, and it was just sort of dictated, and so everything was going to fit together perfectly. And that works as long as you don't read too much of the Bible. <laughs> Honestly, if you just like pick a few verses out and they seem to go together fine, you're like, great, this is easily, that's, per that's perfect, that's totally fine. Um, but when you dig in and you read it with more depth and you read with more breadth across lots of books, you realize that that univocal voice is complicated. It's different. It doesn't all work together. And honestly, I believe that if God wanted us to have a super easy user manual for life, they would have done a much better job. I, I don't think that was the purpose of this. I, wasn't, I don't think it was like, here's your pamphlet, here's what you do, follow these 11 and a half steps, and everything is fine. I think it was meant to be a struggle. And to be honest, that used to make me really angry. <laughs> I did not like that idea. I wanted a simple, straightforward answer and be done, right? It doesn't work that way, though. And what I'm seeing now is I think that the struggle is part of the beauty of it. I think we learn through the struggle. We learn through talking to other people. We learn with taking a text that's kind of obscure and sometimes makes God sound terrible in trying to make that fit with who Jesus is, who we see of him, making all those things come together. And again, that wrestling is not fun, but there's so much value in it. And that's partly why, as a church, we still come back to Scripture again and again. We wrestle with this kind of messy book again and again because we see the value in it. And we know for ourselves, we've seen our own spirit formed by that process, as hard as it was. Richard War says that whatever is received is received according to the manner of the receiver. The who that you bring to any text that you read matters. I know that when I teach my third graders how to read. When they're reading a story, they are bringing all of their own experiences to that story. It's not just a matter of breaking down the words. It's the same thing for us. When we come to any kind of scripture, we bring all of ourselves, our who, to that story. It could be a defensive who. It could be an offensive who. A power-hungry who. We could be a righteous who or a self-righteous who. We bring all those things to it. And we have to realize that that's what's going on as we encounter that text, as we relate to it. But no matter the who that we bring, there's goodness and God meets us in that. And we very much at Imago believe that the Holy Spirit works through that interaction. We really trust the Spirit to lift up the things that we need to notice to help us navigate through these tricky things we don't understand or not sure what to do next. I think of the Bible more as a library. We've heard that analogy here before. It's a collection of stories of people who encounter God and they're telling their story of how that went for them. And they do it in poetry sometimes, in a historical text sometimes, in allegories, in metaphors. They use lots of beautiful ways to convey that meaning of how they encountered God and to convey it to us thousands of years later with a whole different context, trying to understand their experience with God. So I want to have one disclaimer from Vicki Brown. She says this often, and I love it. She often says, it's okay to step away from the Bible for a season. If the Bible is really hard for you, it is okay to put it down for a while. God does not get mad at you for that. No one is going to blame you for that. It's hard. And when you pick it back up, God is right there wait, ready for you, and he's waiting, and he's okay with that too. So if the Bible feels just too much, that is okay. Don't feel like there's anything wrong with you. Wait the season out and hang on. And just know that you're surrounded by people who know exactly what that feels like and will be with you when you get ready to pick it back up again, too. So today, because we're talking about spiritual practices all this month, we're going to look at two different spiritual practices that have to do with Scripture, with spending time with Scripture, letting the Spirit work through that. 
So we're gonna do a couple of them, and that's what your other papers are for. So the first one we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of do an extended version of what you did at first with the scripture reading. We're gonna look at Psalm 23, and if you look at your, I believe it's your uh, blue paper, yep. So on here I have just six different translations of Psalm 23. And so we're gonna take a little time to kind of come together in small groups. So we're gonna have you kind of scoot by to people that are nearby you. And we're just gonna talk a little bit about the different translations, what do you notice? I'm thinking about what's the same and what's different. Um, you can kind of structure this however your group wants. If you want, if you just wanna do like one side, pick the three translations on one side, I try to give you a variety on each side. So you can just pick one side and talk about those three if you want to instead of doing all six. Um, on one side, there are some questions at the bottom that you can use. So once you've kind of talked about them together, those questions might help you think about what do you want to discuss. Um, one way to do it would be to come together and have um, three people in your group, each one read out loud one of the translations so you can all hear it and then kind of talk about what you notice. But again, I'm gonna leave that open to you. What we're really doing is, is a, a long held Jewish practice of holding scripture up and looking at it from different angles. They would talk about the different facets of the jewel of scripture and how you read it from different ways, you can notice different things. I think translations really help us do that because the scholars that put these together, they were looking at the text from different angles, from different perspectives. And so the language that they choose, the things they emphasize will be different and we can learn a lot from noticing those differences. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna take a few minutes to do this. So again, sorry, participation time. You're gonna scoot kind of close by, make little groups together. And then again, just pick maybe one side or the other, read through those three translations, and then just talk together about what do you notice? What's the same, what's different, what stands out to you? All right, let's go ahead and come back together. I always think this every week. I want to videotape you while you're doing that and show you later how beautiful it is as you all like lean in and share with each other. It's amazing. Goodness. So again, this kind of practice can take lots of different forms. So you can do it on your own and just take a passage and again, look at it from different translations. You can do it in a group I always feel like, for me, I benefit more an activity like this by having other people around me because they just notice things that I don't. Um, there's actually a, also a Jewish practice where they would take one passage and then two students of the law would ask each other questions back and forth based on that passage would be kind of an interesting variation of that. And then their discussion would help them understand the passage better. Lots of ways to do it. But again, just taking that time to notice what's the same, what's different, what's consistent, what nuances come out in one version versus another thinking a little bit about what was the purpose of this one. Like we know for some, like the message, because Eugene Peterson has talked about this a lot, we know what his goal was, and we can feel that in his words. Other ones, we have to kind of dig a little bit more to see. I also think it's important for us to remember to ascribe good intention to everyone who has done this incredibly hard work of translating the Bible. No one does it to get rich or to be famous or to get any kind of attention. They do it for a sense of calling. They have a purpose for doing this. And so even if I don't agree with the way that something is worded, if something sounds harsh or, I don't know, just doesn't sit with me the right way, I always try to remember that the person who put this together was acting in good faith, trying to find the best version of these verses to share with the world. And I want to respect that process. We're going to do um, one more practice today. This is one that can also be done in groups. We're going to do an, a solo version of this just so we can kind of acknowledge all kinds of personalities, because they're all things um, that we relate to differently. So we're gonna do a, a short version of, of Lectio Divina. Some of you may have done this before. If, if you've done any of the spiritual communities that we have here at Imago, you've done this a lot. It's one of the things that we talk about. 
And this is um, a very ancient practice. It's been around for a really long time. And, and basically, it's the idea that you take one small section of scripture and you spend time with it. You kind of set aside a chunk of time to set the rest of your life aside, to put your worries and your obligations, just put them down for a little bit and spend time with this passage, thinking about it, thinking about what it means. And we're going to be doing that this morning with a passage that's on your yellow paper. So I'm going to read it out loud, but you can also have it in front of you if it helps you to look at it. We're going to read through this um, four different times. I'm just going to read the same passage four times. Each time we're going to have a slightly different focus. And if you can see on the other side of your yellow paper, these are some of the stages that go along with Lectio. The first is just giving yourself some quiet, some time just to settle, a little bit of silence. And then the first time that you read through it or listen to it, you're just going to be open to the scripture. Just be aware, pay attention. And sometimes a phrase or a word will jump out at you that will just seem to be significant to you as you listen. Now, please understand, that is not a requirement. So if you don't have that happen, you're not doing it wrong. Just continue to be open as we go through more times and just see what happens. But sometimes that will. You'll just notice a part that seems to resonate with you. Then we're going to read it again. And as you listen, kind of, if you had a word or phrase that popped out to you, kind of keep that in mind. How does that affect the rest of the passage now when you listen to it again? Sometimes when there's a story going on, like the one we're going to do is more of a story from the Bible, Think about the characters in there. Who do you connect with in that story? Which character do you relate to? Which part do you think you would be filling if you were in that story? Then we're going to read it again. It gives you a chance to kind of respond. Just notice, how do you feel? How are you reacting to this scripture? What does it bring up in you? What do you feel? Sometimes we kind of poo-poo our feelings and we act like it's not important. That's another way that the Spirit works in us is through our emotions. So notice that. Maybe you have some emotions that come up. Then we're going to read it one more time. It's just a time of rest. Don't put pressure on yourself. This is not about you having some amazing epiphany that you can go and start a, write a whole book on and go have a big tour. It's not about that. It's just being open and letting the Spirit do what the Spirit's going to do. Sometimes it will be very meaningful, and sometimes it will feel like nothing happened until later when the Spirit nudges you again. And those are both completely fine responses to this. So again, you cannot do this wrong. But we're just going to walk through this together, and we'll just take some time. So, again, I'm just going to give us a little bit of silence first. I'll read through the passage once and just listen to see if anything jumps out at you. We'll pause just a little bit, and then I'll cue you for the next part, and we'll just go through each of those steps together. Okay? So just find a place that you can be comfortable, however you'd like to sit, and we'll start together. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. 